You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Jude 17 in your Bibles. Jude 17, if you would. Jude 17, find Revelation, turn back a couple pages, Jude 17. It is good to be here with you folks tonight, and uh, this is an exciting place. There's something going on here, and it's evident, and uh, as my brother said earlier, we have one to give the credit to. And as long as you keep that right, he'll keep working and I'll keep blessing. But man, it's exciting. I didn't expect you all to stand so quickly. Now I have to decide what to do. Should I read my passage and then do my introduction? Should I do my introduction while you're standing? It's my call, right? Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and read these verses, then I'll have you be seated because I'm kind. Jude 17. I'm going to read a few verses here. Jude 17 through 19. Just follow along with me if you would. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful day that you've given us in your house today. Lord, thank you so much for the precious souls that were saved. Lord, thank you for the adults, Lord, that you reached in time. Thank you for the young people who now have the opportunity to give you the majority of their life. Lord, thank you so much for being so good to us. I pray now that you'd bless this time that we have together tonight, Lord, and take this simple truth, and I pray that you'd help it to be a blessing, a challenge, and encouragement to those that are here tonight. Lord, you know my heart. I just want to be a blessing. Pray that you'd allow me to do that in spite of me. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. To answer the question that may be on some of your minds, I know that I know most of you, I've met most of you, but some of you may be visiting. My brother and I are not twins, okay? I am the older. I'll let you make whatever assumptions after that that you'd like. If you want to assume that I am also the wiser because I am the older, you may make that assumption. I will not get into any arguments or confrontations with you about that. And uh, I get the privilege to serve in frozen Illinois, in uh, a town called Lockport, Illinois. I'm the co-pastor of Grace Baptist Church of Lockport, Illinois. I serve with my father-in-law, Pastor Keith Harrison. And he was a missionary for many years in Argentina. And uh, I uh, had the privilege of a lifetime to marry his lovely daughter, That's my wife Mandy there in the front row. For those that haven't met her, please get to know her. She is certainly my better half. And I get to serve there at that church. And I'm sorry I brought a little bit of that cold weather down here with me. Bless your poor hearts. You all look so cold down here. I checked the weather just a second, well, a little bit before I uh, came to the building here. And it's, I believe, seven below zero back at home right now with a wind chill of 27 below zero. 
We got a foot of snow on Friday. It snowed and then it rained a little bit and then it snowed again and then it went to sub-zero temperatures. Recipe for disaster, right? But that's just our life up there. I saw there's a forecast. We're flying out tomorrow, unfortunately. I only get a little bit of time with you folks, but saw the forecast tomorrow in Dallas and they're forecasting that it might get around zero and they might have half an inch of snow and they're warning me that my flight's about to be canceled. You've gotta be kidding me. All right. It's a normal day to wake up with half an inch of snow on the ground, but anyway, God bless you folks. And uh, I do pray that you don't have to have uh, that, that weather. I'm sure it'd be too much for some of you to bear, but uh, anyway. It's good to see my grandma here and uh, what a precious lady she is. And uh, if you haven't, gotten the chance to meet her and see her. She is just a sweetheart. And I have to warn you folks, though, every time I come down here, there are more Che's. There are more Koreans every time I come down here. And I just have to tell you, many a strip mall have been taken over <laughs> that way. One Korean at a time. That's how we work. You, just, you turn around and there's another one of us. Okay. Next time I'm here, part of this property is going to be converted to a nail salon and a dry cleaners, all right? I'm just, I'm just warning you, all right? So you just watch out. A, something needs to be put in the church constitution or something. But when I tell you that that lady is one of the most fervent prayer warriors I know, I'm not over-exaggerating in the slightest. And my dad would tell you that that lady right there is the reason that he's in church tonight. And I don't know, I don't know how, how far beyond my dad that impact is carried, but I can tell you that I remember my brother and I were talking about this just a little bit ago, yesterday night. We remember times that we would get together with my grandma and my grandpa, and we would gather around the, the couch before we would leave, and we would, they would put their hands on us, and they would pray for us. And I just remember my grandma grabbing my arm and just squeezing my arm so tightly. And I remember feeling hot tears fall off of her face onto my arms as she prayed. And I didn't understand a word that she said because she was praying in Korean, but God understood. And she prayed that God would protect us and that God would take care of us and that God would use us. And I owe so much to that lady right there. Praise the Lord to see her. It's such, a, such an encouragement and a blessing. I don't know how much more time she has with us, but it is a blessing. Heritage Baptist Church, I want to tell you congratulations. Congratulations on this building project. I know that this is the month that we are celebrating and dedicating this building, and I have to tell you that I saw pictures, I saw videos, and it just doesn't do it justice. It's something in person. You all did it right, and God is doing something wonderful here. This is a beautiful auditorium, and I remember... Growing up, we went through a building project at my church in Elgin, Northwest Bible Baptist Church, and I was too young to fully understand how important it was. But boy, I remember how exciting it was, and I hope that you have a taste of that, folks. I hope that this is so exciting. I hope that you remember when this was nothing but a concrete slab. I hope you remember when it was nothing but grass, and then a concrete slab, and then I was here at Winter Revival last year when some of those steel beams started going up. And now you got a full-fledged building out here, and you got fancy cameras and everything. I mean, boy, it's exciting. Folks, a, a church is not a building. 
A church is a people. But I do think that a building and the facilities should reflect the people that are in it. You can put dead people in a beautiful building and it won't take long before the building is in disrepair. But you put people that have the right spirit and then have the Holy Spirit and pretty soon the facilities and the properties are going to show life because that's what's here. And when people drive by, I hope they see there's something going on on that property over there. And I am honored to be asked to, to be here during this special time. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say again how proud I am of my little brother. <clears throat> you all are lucky. I got, to, I got to spend years with him when he was just a work in progress, okay? Warning hazard area, hazmat suits. I mean, boy, you know, hang on, it's my time. <laughs> Anybody that knew Johnny growing up knew he's going to make a splash somewhere. Whatever he does, people are going to know about it. And I'm sincerely so glad that he got serious for the Lord. And I'm so glad that he's your pastor, and thank you so much for loving him and taking care of him and his family. And again, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to be here. I promise you, I don't take it for granted. We will be leaving tomorrow, but we'll be back again in a month for the winter revival. We're already praying for that and excited for that. So uh, we are uh, just so, we want to rejoice with you folks. This is such a special time, and praise the Lord for his goodness. Let's get into the message tonight. Jude. 17 through 19, and I read those verses. I want us to draw our attention to verse 18, if you would, with me. Verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Folks, based upon biblical prophecy, we are in the last time. I don't know how long the last time will last, but we are certainly in the last time. And there are many passages in the Bible that deal with the last time. And I'm glad that those passages are in the Bible. Because they, they tell us a little bit about what we can expect and how we should prepare ourselves and how we should act and behave in these days. Now Jude mentions something specifically about the last days that other passages in the Bible don't. It tells us that in the last time there will be mockers. A mocker is someone that ridicules and derides others with scorn and contempt. A mocker ridicules and derides others with scorn and contempt. They imitate and they mimic, they provoke, they make fun of others. In the Bible, the first example of mockery was when Lot was trying to warn his family that Sodom was going to be destroyed. And the Bible says that he was as one that mocked to his sons-in-law. That when Lot got serious and said, hey, the Lord's going to destroy this place. We need to get out. This place is wicked. His sons-in-law looked at him and they said, what? Are you serious? And as much as his sons-in-law were mockers, Lot seemed as one that mocked to them. And let me put this little tidbit in here. Husband, father... 
If your voice in your family, whenever you bring up something spiritual, is as one that mocks, you're doing something wrong. If you say, hey, kids, let's have family devotions tonight. What? There needs to be a voice in the home that can be a voice of firm spirituality. And I believe that it needs to be the husband, it needs to be the father, it needs to be the man. And listen, if you're a single mom in here, you do the absolute best you can. And I believe that God can magnify and use your voice in the lives of your children in a way that you would not be able to otherwise. And you are not a waste. God has a plan for you. But I have, I have grown so tired of men that are loud and boisterous about all the wrong things. But when it comes to spirituality, there is one that mock. Now, according to Jude, folks, one of the earmarks of the last days is that there will be mockers. They walk after their own ungodly lusts. They are sensual. They are not spiritual. I think this is a very timely message, not just because we're in the last days. I think this is a timely message for the people of Heritage Baptist Church. In the midst of this building project, after a wonderful spiritual victory like this morning. And you might say, well, Brother A, what, why would you want to talk to us about mockers when the building is up and there are people being saved. Folks, you realize that the spiritual victory that was felt this morning, do you know how quickly that can be snatched away by the devil an hour into your workday tomorrow? He can snatch that away so quickly. You have, if you come on Wednesdays, which I encourage you to, you have two days in church and you have five days in the world. You have five days with mockers, you have two days with God's people. And sure, there are some people that are excited about what God is doing here at Heritage Baptist Church, and I'm one of them, but there are also some people that drive by this property and look upon it with disdain. They look upon it with mockery and scorn in their heart. And the goal of this message is not to discourage you. I don't want to discourage you by telling you that there are mockers out there. In fact, I didn't even need to tell you that there are mockers out there. You already knew. You might be able to name them if I gave you a microphone. You already knew that. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm simply trying to prepare you for what may come, what the devil may try to do. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go to a, a famous building project in the Bible and show you how Satan tried to use some mockers to derail what was going on. But by the end of this message, folks, I hope that you're even more excited and resolute than you were at the start of the message that you're doing the right thing by keeping your eyes on the Lord and just by plowing ahead for Him regardless of what the mockers say. I want to preach a message tonight entitled Mockers in the Last Time. Mockers in the Last Time. And I want to tell you tonight how to handle mockers. How do you handle mockers? We're going to look at their tactics <clears throat> and then we're going to look at the Bible response to those tactics. When I mentioned a Bible building project where there are mockers, your mind probably already went to this passage if you know your Bible, but turn back to Nehemiah with me if you would. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 2. For sake of time, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. You catch up with me, okay? Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan... In the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. 
then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. To summarize this passage and to bring you up to speed with what happened in the first chapter as well, upon hearing the broken down state of Jerusalem, Nehemiah was deeply grieved. The walls were broken down, the city lied in waste, the gates had been burned with fire, and the king at the time, King Artaxerxes, saw the sadness of Nehemiah and asked him what was bothering him. Nehemiah told him why he was sad and what he wanted to do. He said, I want to rebuild my city. And the king said, yes. Look with me now in verse 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So as Nehemiah took the letters from the king with his mission to the surrounding governors that were going to allow him travel and passage through, there were two mockers that met him, and those mockers' names were Sanballat and Tobiah. They were two men that the Bible said were deeply grieved that someone cared about the welfare of the children of Israel. Think about that statement. Deeply grieved that someone cared about the welfare of other people. They were upset by what Nehemiah was trying to do. And folks, you need to remember and you need to know that the enemies of God are always going to be upset by what we are trying to do for God. They're always going to be upset by it. They're always going to be grieved by it. Mockers are those that have a satanic anger and a satanic agenda to fulfill, and you are their target. You are who they have it out for. They don't even know why they're so mad, but they're mad, and they're going to try to stop you along the way. So let's look at what these men and others along with them tried to do to stop this building project, what these mockers attempted to do, and you're going to find an eerie similarity to people in our lives today. What is the mockers' first tactic? Tactic number one, I want you to see that mockers laugh. Tactic number one is laughter. Look with me in verse 19, if you would. Nehemiah 2, 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian, now we have a third one, heard it, 
They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Folks, the first and the most common thing that a Christian faces from mockers is their laughter. Now, why do we laugh? We laugh at things that we think are funny. Why do they laugh at Christians? Because they think that the way we live is funny. They think it's funny. It's, it's so out of the ordinary to them that their first response is to laugh. You believe in creation? <laughs> you give how much of your income to the church? <laughs> what? I'm sorry, you go to church how many times a week? <laughs> Sunday morning and Sunday night? <laughs> you spent how much on that new building? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you couldn't find a better use for that? They laugh. It's the first thing they do because they think it's funny. It's foreign to them. They think it's funny, so they laugh. Folks, if you live for God, you're going to be laughed at. You're going to be laughed at. So what should you do when people laugh? What do you do when people laugh at you when you're serving God? Well, we should do what Nehemiah did. Look in verse 20. Verse 20, the Bible says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Folks, when people laugh at you, keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. Nehemiah's response really had nothing to do with logistics or arguments. He didn't invite them to sit down and say, let me explain to you what's going on. You know what Nehemiah said to them? Nehemiah said to them, God told us to do this. This is his will, so we're going to do it, and it's none of your business. Laugh all you want. It's none of your business. This is God's business, and if you don't want a part of it, fine. We, we didn't ask you to, what you thought about what's going on. We have something to do for the Lord, and that's what we're going to do. And folks, you need to realize, you need to understand this, that those that are choosing to laugh at you are not really interested in a discussion. They've already decided that what you're doing is weird to them, so the worst thing that you can do is to focus on them. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on the Lord. You need to keep your eyes, instead of on the one that is laughing at you and mocking you, keep your eyes on the one that saved you and sent you and sanctified you and sustains you. Keep your eyes on him. Now listen, sometimes this is easier said than done. Because I don't care from the youngest of the girls in here to the biggest, burliest man that's in this room. And I've seen some of you Texans, you scare me a little bit. It doesn't matter who you are, no one likes to be laughed at, folks. You don't like it. If you do like it, you got something, okay? No one likes to be laughed at. And especially when it comes from someone that you may care about, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. We need to remember something about the laughter, though, of these mockers. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. You know what these ungodly mockers do after they get done laughing? You know what they do? They go home and they weep. 
You have no idea how many nights they have cried themselves to sleep because their life is empty. They have no joy of the Lord. They put on this outward show of laughter like they have it all together, but then they turn their back. Even in laughter, their heart is sorrowful. So folks, you don't like to be laughed at, and I understand it. I get it. Let it fall off like water off a duck's back. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Sarah laughed. You remember in the Old Testament, Sarah laughed when she was told that she was going to have a child, but she wasn't laughing anymore when Isaac was born. The Bible doesn't say this specifically, but I have to imagine that Goliath laughed a little bit when David came to meet him in the field. But his laughter stopped at some point when his head was rolling on the battlefield. Their laughter will always eventually stop, folks. The crowd laughed at Jesus when he said that the maid wasn't dead. She sleepeth. But Jesus kept his eyes on the Father and he raised her up. Folks, you're going to face laughter. They're going to laugh at you. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Tactic number two of the mocker, they start with laughter, then they go to ridicule. Ridicule. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Nehemiah 4, verse 1. But it came to pass that when Samballot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. They went from laughter to ridicule. And folks, when you start to actually accomplish something for God, the laughers stop laughing and they start ridiculing. At first, they wanted to simply laugh it off. But now they can't ignore that something's going on, so they have to up, they have to up the ante a little bit. And they moved to ridicule. There may have been some folks that when they heard the ideas and the, the building projects being drawn up for this property, that they may have laughed it off. But when those steel beams started going up, you can't laugh that off anymore. Okay, they're moving forward. Something's going on. And so as Nehemiah started to actually build something, they went from laughing to ridiculing. And they, they, they stood by as these people were working and they stood by and they just pointed and they just said, what, are they, what do these people think they're doing? They have no idea how hard this is going to be. This is a fool's errand. Tobiah even said, if a fox were to walk up on that wall, it looks so flimsy and so weak, a fox could break down that wall. Ridicule. They went from simply laughing to starting to throw some specific insults. Sometimes, folks, it sounds like this. You're never going to make it financially if you keep giving that much. Have you ever had a family member, friends, coworker, someone tell you, you're not going to make it financially if you keep tithing? You ever heard that before? Anyone in here? Okay. You're not going to make it financially if you keep giving. I've heard this before. You, you can't really know someone unless you live together first. Your marriage isn't going to last. You need to live with someone first to get to know them. I've heard this. Your way of life is so outdated. You look so silly 
wearing those dresses. You look silly dressing modestly. You're such a stick in the mud not coming out to party with us after work. What's wrong with you? Folks, I used to work a secular job. I, I heard all of it. They ridicule. So what should we do when people ridicule? Look at what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Folks, when they move to ridicule, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah prayed. He went to the Lord. Notice again, Nehemiah did not turn and engage in an argument with these people. Instead of wasting his words on these people that wanted to ridicule, he sent his words up to heaven. He cried out in prayer. And you know what, folks? He says in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. You know what I hear when I, when I read that? I hear Nehemiah just talking to God, just telling God what's bothering him. God, the, the, we're trying to get something done, and these people, they're despising us. And Lord, I'm not going to let it stop us, but Lord, it, it bothers me. And Lord, I worry about how it's going to bother my people. And he just took... He just took his concerns to the Lord. And folks, I am not advocating for a whiny prayer life, but I am telling you that nothing is too little to take to the Lord. I don't understand how the God of the universe has that much attention and that much patience, but he does. He does. And someday when you are just bothered, you have that thorn in the flesh, that person that's just bothering you, that adversary that's nagging you and ridiculing you. Instead of engaging in another fruitless argument, because I'm sure you've had them before, just turn to the Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm bothered. I'm concerned. I'm despised. Lord, help me. And you know what, folks? It is in our nature to want to just talk about things that bother us. It's in our nature. You can see it on social media. People just get on and they just vent about what's bothering them. The bad day that they've had at work, the traffic that they're, you know, going to face on the way home, the snow that's on the ground, whatever the case may be. We just like to talk about what's bothering us. And folks, so many times, the people that we're telling what's bothering us can't do anything about it. But there's someone that can. Take it to him. Take it to him. And you know what? Even if God doesn't, we know that God could just take it away. Immediately. Boom. Gone. But even if he doesn't, I promise you, you will feel better having taken it to God. And sometimes all you're going to get back from heaven is just, I hear you. I hear you. And you know what? There have been times that that's been the only answer to the prayer that I've gotten, and it was enough. I hear you. Lord, I'm having a hard time today. Help me. I hear you. It's like the reassurance when someone's bullying you when you're little of just looking over across the playground and you see dad sitting on the park bench over there. Dad. I see. Okay. All right. As long as dad sees, as long as dad knows, I'm going to be okay. Folks, when they ridicule, pray. But then we need to go further. Look at verse 6. So we built the wall. 
And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Folks, after you pray, when they ridicule next, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by the ridicule. Now is not the time to argue. It's time to work. It's time to work. Heritage Baptist Church, it's still time to work. It's not time to argue. It's not time to get in an argument with these people that don't really want to, 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 to be convinced. They don't really want it. They just want to waste your time with arguing. And we, we have to stop stooping to those tactics. We have to remember that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Don't be distracted. If the devil can't get you to turn your back and walk the other way, he'll just get you to sit down. So don't be distracted. And mind you, folks, remember, those that ridicule, okay, they, they have done nothing in their life to give them the right to ridicule what you're trying to do. The, Sanballat and Tobiah, they had never built a wall, but they're going to ridicule Nehemiah's wall. Right? The people that are going to point fingers and, and, and make fun of what you have going on on this property, they've never built buildings, they've never built a ministry, they've never done any of that. So remember where that's coming from, folks. It's a useless argument. It's not what God wants us to do. Don't get distracted by those that ridicule. Realize that if they have gone from laughing to ridicule, you are doing something right. Because they can't ignore you anymore. They can't ignore it. They have to up their game. Good. Good. If God be for us, who can be against us? But they don't stop there. I wish they did, but they don't. The next tool of the mocker is anger. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> but it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites stop for a second, the crowd is growing. Right, what started with two guys, then went to three guys, now is groups of people. Continue on. Heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Folks, this isn't just anger. This is anger that resulted in threatenings and fighting. The laughter wasn't enough. The ridicule wasn't enough. So now they're angry and they're going to try to actively oppose what you're trying to do. Even though they have so many of their own problems to deal with, they're going to drop all of their own problems and try to help you with your problems. They're going to jump into your life as busybodies and they're going to try to meddle in the work that you have going on. So what should we do when we are facing this anger? We should pray again. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. After the ridicule, they prayed. But then they got angry, and they circled the wagons. And they, they brought this active attack around. And Nehemiah decided it's time to pray again. And folks, I think that this prayer is a little bit different than the first prayer. Your prayer changes a little bit when you're facing active opposition. I'm not going to go into all the details, <clears throat> but I'll just tell you that over the course of the last five years, we have had two lawsuits that have been brought against our church up there in Lockport. 
and they're n nothing of our own doing, and, and praise the Lord, he's helped us to win that battle. But folks, I had always prayed for my church. Lord, protect my church. Lord, bless my church. Lord, help our church to grow. Lord, have your hand upon our church. But when I got a court summons in the mail, my prayer got a little bit more specific. Lord, I did not know that this was coming, and I don't know how we're going to beat this. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help us to fight this battle right here, right now. And God did it once, and God did it again. I'm sure that before you started your building project, you prayed. Lord, bless our building project. Lord, help people to give. Help people to be faithful. Lord, I pray that you'd be with every contractor, every planner, every engineer. Lord, every, every hammer. Lord, I pray that you just bless every bit of it. But then when you find out about specific municipal codes that need to be followed and that probably are very selectively enforced, maybe only upon churches. I don't know if they do that down here in Texas, but there's a lot of that stuff up north. You find out about some of those things and it becomes a little bit different. Someone's trying to actively oppose you and your prayer changes a little bit. It gets a little bit more specific and that's a good thing, folks. Be as specific in your prayer as you can be. We are too general in our prayers. Lord, Lord, help me. That, that's wonderful. That's a good place to start. But you know what? Sometimes God wants to hear more specifically. And when, when this active opposition goes from simply laughter to ridicule, now it's anger, and you see these people around you picking up swords and spears, go back to the Lord in prayer because that is the best place to go. Then after you pray, folks, it's time to keep your guard up. After you pray, keep your guard up. Look with me in verse 9. Verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God, but then look, and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Look at verse 13. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, with those that laid it every one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Folks, after you pray, when you face this angry opposition, you better keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. A fight came to these people right in the middle of a building project. So Nehemiah went to all the people and he said, Folks, we're going to have to cancel this whole project because these people are they're mad at us. So we're just going to... We tried. We gave it our best. Let's shut down. Let's move on. Right? No. No, no, no. He said, Men, you grab a sword in one hand and you grab a shovel in the other and get to work. Look around you, but get to work. And you know, that sounds so much like this to me. It sounds like this, where I take my Bible in one hand and I knock on doors with the other. Where I take my Bible in one hand and I give with the other. I take my Bible in one hand and I comfort the hurting with the other. I take my Bible in one hand 
and I drive the bus with the other. Not literally, you'll get pulled over, but you get my point. I take the Bible in one hand and I teach my Sunday school class with the other. I take the Bible in one hand and I raise my kids for the Lord with the other. The Bible in one hand, a tool in the other, keep your guard up, but it's still time to work. When angry opposition comes, it's not time to stop working, it's just time to stop, to start fighting too. When they ramp up their rhetoric, we don't need to bunker down. We need to get more fervent and not stop working. When angry opposition comes, by the way, it is not time to abandon God's word. So many, so many, when the first wind of opposition comes, they abandon God's word. And folks, if you do that, you are doomed. The more that the world criticizes this book, the more precious it becomes to me. I don't know about you. But the more that they attack it, the more precious it becomes. The more that they mock it, the more that they abandon it. It, I, it helps me to realize the treasure that I have in my hands. Praise God for the word of God. We need to keep one hand on the work and the other hand on the word. Not only should we pray, not only should we keep our guard up, but folks, if I can encourage you also in the midst of anger, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look at verse 14, if you would, verse 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What, what a leader Nehemiah was. What a leader. That he went to these men, that he realized were probably feeling a little bit of fear around this time. And he said, be, be not ye afraid of them, remember the Lord. That'd be, if you're one of those people that likes to have those you know, those like Hobby Lobby signs up in your house with Bible verses and those sayings, that's a good one. Be not ye afraid of them, remember the Lord. If you just remember the Lord, it'll help you to not feel that fear. Be not ye afraid of them, remember the Lord. Folks, when angry enemies come, it will either increase your fear or your faith. And you need to let it increase your faith. It is hard, it is hard to not be a little bit fearful when you get your eyes on what's going on in the world around you today. It is hard. Okay, men, thinking about providing for and protecting your families. It's a scary world out there. Okay, I don't, I don't know what's coming down the turnpike. I don't know what, I don't know what the, the next mandate from the governor is going to be. I don't know if they're going to come for our churches again. I don't know. But in the midst of all this angry opposition, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Now, after the mockers have laughed, after they've ridiculed, after they've come at you with angry opposition, they're going to switch up their tactic a little bit. And this tactic, it doesn't seem like the most menacing, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most effective. Tactic number four of the mocker is compromise. Compromise. Turn with me to chapter six, Nehemiah chapter six. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, 
Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. I have heard this passage preached a lot of times, and every time that verse, verse 2, is preached, I've heard that when these men said, Hey, Nehemiah, come meet us in the plain of Oh No! Nehemiah's answer to them was, Oh No! Folks, when the laughter and the ridicule and the anger isn't enough, they're going to change up their tactic, and it sounds like this. It says, hey, let's talk. Let's talk. Now, listen, your first reaction after laughter and after ridicule and after they've picked up swords, when they put down their swords and they say, hey, let's talk, your first reaction might be, Great. Great, let's talk. Let, this is what I've been praying for. They're backing down. Good. All right, folks, yeah, let's take a pause from the work. Let's just, let's go sit down and talk. And herein lies the danger of this tactic. To take you from the work, to go from, you're, you're, you're lifting up your shield because you're ready for an attack, to they say, hey, oh, okay, hang on, hang on, let's, Let's calm down here. Let's take a break. Let's just talk about this. If you're not careful, folks, you'll fall for this hook, line, and sinker. Now, I, I don't claim that this is going to be the answer every single time, but I've had people ask me, Brother Abe, how do I know if someone is sincerely seeking after my faith or if they're trying to get me to compromise? How do I know? And again, I wish I had a firm, tried and true, line in the sand, black and white answer. But in this case, I can tell you how Nehemiah knew that this was compromise and that it was not of the Holy Spirit. They asked Nehemiah, come down off the wall and meet us in the plain of Ono. Come away from where you are and meet us where we want you to meet us. They said, hey, come meet us in the middle. When they say that, it's almost always about compromise. Because you know what, folks? If they really are curious about why you live the way you do, if they really want to find out what all this Bible preaching is about, they know just where to find you and when to find you there, don't they? If they ask you, hey, why don't, let's go out to eat sometime. Why don't, let's go talk about, let's just talk about this Bible stuff. You say, hang on, I have a better idea. Sunday school's at 9.30 or whatever time it is. Sunday school's at 10. Why don't you come and see what it's all about? Okay, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. I want you to come hear my preacher. You'll be amazed how many times, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I, I'm busy that day. Oh, no, 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 uh, that, no, that's not really what I had in mind. Oh, okay. All right, well, when, when you're serious, you'll know where to find me. Folks, these men wanted Nehemiah to come down off the wall to come to neutral territory. They wanted him to relinquish his position and come down and meet them where they are. Folks, no, 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 oh, no. That's what the compromiser wants you to do. So what should you do when you're facing compromise? Can I make this real simple? Don't. Don't. Verse 3, the Bible says, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah said no. But hey, folks, one no might not be enough. Look at verse 4. Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them again after the same manner. Then sent Samballad his servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Folks, 
One no might not be enough. You better be ready to have a few more no's ready to go. I don't know what this looked like with Nehemiah, but the first time the messengers came to Nehemiah, they said, Nehemiah, these men want to meet you in the plain of Ono. Tell them I said no. Okay, and they went and they delivered the message. And then Sam had sent another message and they went back, Nehemiah, they want to meet you again in the plain of Ono. Tell them I said no. And they went, okay, Nehemiah. They went over and they told, Nehemiah says no. All right, you give this to Nehemiah. Okay, all right, go over to Nehemiah again. Nehemiah, they want you to, okay, all right, fine. They probably didn't even deliver those messages anymore because they knew what his answer was going to be. And you better be ready to draw a line in the sand. No means no means no means no. Folks, compromise never stops. Never stops. It is a moving goalpost, and whatever agreement you make with them will not be enough. Mark my words, it will not be enough. The very word compromise, the root of that word is promise. It's an agreement. It's an understanding. The prefix before the word promise is com, short for common. Common understanding, common agreement. Folks, I don't see anywhere in this book where we are supposed to be coming to common understandings and common agreements with the people that hate our God. And they're going to get you to try to compromise. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, okay, fine, fine. I'll stop going on Wednesday nights. Fine. Will that be enough for you? Yeah, yeah, good. Okay. Because, you know, we need to have some family time. Okay, all right. And then next, it's going to be Sunday night. You go on Sunday morning, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? And you already give so much. Why don't, the building is done. Stop, stop giving so much. And compromise moves and moves and moves and moves and moves. And before you know it, you wake up and you're in a place you never thought you'd be. And you got there by degrees of compromise. Folks, be like Nehemiah. Don't even get down off the wall. Don't even go talk to them. Don't fall for it. If they really want to know about your God, they know where to find you. Don't compromise. And then, folks, to close this out, the last thing that Nehemiah did, and I'm sorry if this is redundant, but Nehemiah prayed again. Look at Nehemiah 6, verse 9. For they all made us afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah prayed again. Folks, I am not sure that there is a more powerful yet underused tool than prayer. I've heard it said, all we can do now is pray. No, no, no. The best thing that you can do now is pray. Prayer is such an unbelievable, such a powerful tool. Do you realize what it is to have an open channel with the God of the universe? Do you understand? You understand what that is? And the, the prayer of Nehemiah here, oh God, strengthen my hands. It, it may not make that much sense for him to say that. Folks, you remember the wall? The wall was essentially done, except the gates were not put up. Nehemiah had already said no five or six times by this point. Why is he still praying, God, strengthen my hands? Because he was still made of the same flesh that every compromiser's ever been made of. And you never know when you've run out of no's. He says, God, help me to have one more no for the compromisers. And the gates weren't up yet. 
You remember that little parenthesis in the verse that we read? The gates were not up upon the doors yet. Folks, what good is a wall with no gates? You know how easy it would have been for Nehemiah to sit back and look at that completed wall and say, you know what? I've earned this. I've earned a little break. I can let my guard down a little bit. But no, he realized this wall is no good without gates. All of what we've worked to do will be for naught if I stop now. And Heritage Baptist Church, you heard it from your pastor a little bit ago. Praise God for the wondrous works that he's already done, but the work is not done yet. The work is not done yet. There are a lot of people around here in Corpus Christi that still need the gospel. They still need the truth. They still need to be saved. The work is not done yet. This building was not built to be a shrine to the greatness of you good people, though you are good people and this is a great thing, but this is not a shrine to us. This is a building, a tool to be used for the glory of God. This is not the end, this is the beginning. And I'm so excited about what God is gonna continue to do in your lives, but do not come down off the wall. Stand strong, stand firm, don't give in to compromise. Pray, oh God, strengthen our hands for the work that still needs to be done. And folks, look with me in verse 15, a great way to close. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 50 and 2 days. When it was all said and done, Nehemiah and the workers did the best thing that they could have possibly done in the face of mockers. They finished the work that God gave them to do. Folks, they can laugh at you, they can ridicule you, they can be angry and they can try to stop you, but at the end of the day, they cannot argue with the product of a life lived for God. They cannot argue with it. They cannot explain the peace that you have when nothing around you is peaceful. They cannot explain the joy that you have when everyone else is sad. They cannot explain the stability in your life when everything else around them is crumbling. They cannot argue with how your marriage has stayed together while theirs has fallen apart. They cannot argue with how well your kids have turned out when theirs are confused about what gender they are. They cannot argue with how your finances are intact even though you've tithed and you've given far above that and they've tried to hoard everything that they've gotten and they're deeply in debt. They can't explain it. They can't explain how you can sleep like a baby with a clear conscience when they toss and turn. They can't explain how your brothers and sisters in Christ are truly friends and there for you when all of their selfish, worldly friends have abandoned them. They can't explain how you can approach the end of your life with dignity because you are looking forward to seeing your Savior's face. They cannot argue with a life that was lived for Christ. Noah had to endure years of laughter, ridicule, and anger and offers of compromise. But crazy Noah looked pretty wise when the rain started to fall. Everyone that once mocked wanted in that boat. And folks, when you stand and keep your eyes fixed on God no matter what comes, it is amazing how God might open the door of opportunity for you to witness to one of those people that was trying to oppose what you were trying to do. It is amazing that when they've run out of cynicism, they come to you broken and contrite, ready to find out what this way of life is all about. Because I can't explain it, I wanted to laugh it off, I wanted to ridicule it, I, I, I even wanted to try to stop it, but now I, I want it. I want what you have, I don't understand it, I want what you have. 
And folks, I know that this is Sunday night, and I know that this was not a salvation-type message, but I'd be remiss. I know that there are some visitors here tonight, and praise God, there's some people here that may be members of Heritage Baptist Church that if you've never truly settled this matter of your salvation, if you've looked in, in confusion and wonder about what is this way of life about, who are these Christians, why are they always whistling, why are they so happy, don't they know what's going on around us? The same Jesus that turned our life around can turn your life around too. And I do not know what's coming. I do not know. If I had the answer, I'd make a lot of money. I do not know. But I know the one who does. And I know the one that allows me to have peace in my life. And he loves you, and he died for you too. And you can be a part of this great work that needs to be done, and boy, we could use your help. I want to close with this thought. We'll have the invitation here in just a moment, but I, 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 I struggled with whether to say this, and I know the hour is late, but I ask for just a little bit more of your attention. Not all mockers are outside the walls. Not all mockers are outside the walls. Sometimes there are mockers inside the walls. And if I've learned anything in the last, let's say, five years of my life, it's this. Whenever I heard messages preached about being ready to have the whole armor of God on and, and to fight against the enemies of God, I was always picturing these vicious, vile, sort of faceless enemies out in the world. And one of the most sobering lessons that I've ever had to learn is that the toughest fights that you will face as a Christian are often clothed with the familiar faces of people that you love that have abandoned the truth and have chosen to go a different way and now have made it their mission to try to stop you. Mockers are not always outside the walls. Sometimes they were ones that were once picking up a sword and a shovel with you, and now they're mocking you. We don't have time to go there, but I want you to read Nehemiah 13. And I want you to look at how Nehemiah handled some of the people within the ranks that were trying to be active dissenters and that were trying to stop the work. The Bible says in one case that Nehemiah chased them away. I don't think that's hyperbole. I see Nehemiah chasing a grown man out of his presence. I think he was that kind of man. In Heritage Baptist Church, God has given you an under-shepherd who has a responsibility to protect the flock of God. And if every once in a while he has to throw a righteous fit and chase some people away, please understand that that may be what needs to happen. And understand that that's not a personal vendetta. And understand that it is the most heartbreaking thing that a pastor will ever have to do. But the work is going to cease if we have mockers in the walls. And if you don't know your pastor well enough, folks, I have taken the calls. He has called me heartbroken. Bro, I just don't know what to do. Bro, I'm so hurt. If you don't know the heart of your pastor, you should get to know it. 
He has a heart as big as this room. And he truly loves you. And he wants nothing more than to see you live for God. And he's going to give mockers a chance. He's going to give them a chance to repent and give them a chance to get right. But if God impresses on his heart that it's enough's enough, enough's enough, there are wolves among the sheep, then he's going to do what a shepherd does. And you know what, folks? It'd be good if you just lift him up in prayer. And don't question every decision. And don't become the mocker yourself. Again, folks, I, I really wanted to get through this message without saying that. But I trust that the Holy Spirit allowed me to say that for a purpose. Sometimes there are mockers in the walls. Heritage Baptist Church, I'm excited about what God has for you. And if you feel a little bit tired tonight, it's because there was a spiritual battle that went on this morning. I always, I, I am never more tired than on a Sunday night. And I can't really explain it because it's the same number of hours in the day. But it's spiritual battle. And folks, God wrought a victory today. Praise the Lord. You realize that there are 12 people now whose lives are completely changed. Completely changed after what happened today. And I don't think this is the end. I think there are many, many, many more Sundays to come. And I'm so excited for all of it. But folks, tomorrow, you're going to go to bed tonight, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and life is going to continue. You're going to go to work. You might have had the Holy Spirit bring to mind someone tonight. That coworker, that Sanballat, that Tobiah, that family member that you know every time you get a text or a call, oh boy, here we go again. Here we go again. I encourage you, when the laughter comes, when the ridicule comes, when the anger comes, when they offer compromise, you stand, you keep going, you keep your eyes on the Lord, you pray, pray, pray till you can't anymore. And trust that God will work the work in you and through you that he wants to do. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.